Hello and welcome to Let the Bird Fly, a podcast about living freely and a world given back to us. We are here in San Diego um, at the Here We Still Stand conference, and we are recording now our third podcast out here. Unfortunately, Ben and Peter were not able to make the trip, so it is just Mike and I. Um, we were privileged to record yesterday with Dr. John Pless from Concordia, Fort Wayne, and Pastor Adam Morton from Lancaster, Pennsylvania. Um, I'm the theologian Oswald Bayer. That was for our live uh broadcasting uh, experience yesterday um we just recorded a little earlier with Raul. When, when did you have me on i thought oswald buyer man i translate oswald we didn't you were you were networking you could have said something i didn't know when you were going to be here for sure i messaged about this way back when but uh <laughs> as you can probably guess you, there's a familiar voice and we'll get to him in just a second for our guest now um, but right before this, we had Riley Sadler, uh, uh, Sadler and uh, um, Josh Branham on about human trafficking and Let My People Go. And we are very excited to have now, from our live broadcast last year on Herman Sasa, uh, someone who could talk about Sasa, uh, Bayer, Geertz, translating a, a wide variety of topics. And we've had him on before to talk Sasa and Geertz. Um, and today we're going to be talking some Bo Geertz again, and Broer has been translating away still. Uh, I don't know how he manages. Uh, when I was translating, if I could do a page a day, that was a huge accomplishment, and Broer is just churning out good stuff, and not just good content, but good translations, and uh, we're happy to have got him. He's been in high demand. He's coming from recording for another podcast. We won't say their name, but they are a part of the 15... 17 network um but but listen to ours first even though chronologically he recorded with these other people um before us i don't think they plied him with too much alcohol hopefully no man they i know bro's not a drinker anyways that's want to make sure we got they 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 made me take it raw uh oh! They didn't, they didn't wet my whistle at all. Before, okay, well, know? good. So we've got we've got Broer <laughs> extremely dialed in and focused, and we're going to be talking about something he's been doing now with Bo Geert's translations that I think is a phenomenal resource um, for pastors, for lay people, something that's really accessible and probably gives us an experience of Geert's that's very different from a lot of the other stuff that Broer has done. Um, we've talked about some of the fiction he's translated on Knights of Rhodes. Um, he has worked with when he and I had worked together in the past, uh, which should be a gift. I will say I don't make any money off it anymore, bro. But it should be a gift. You made money on that stuff, you? Yeah, I, what? I didn't know you wanted any of it. <laughs> um, the uh, but it should be a gift to every Lutheran uh, pastor at his ordination, in my view, um, which is then fell the Lord's fire. Um, yeah, that book definitely. is now distributed by fifteen seventeen. You can still find it. If you know someone being ordained in the in the pastorate in the Lutheran Church, um, that or is a, any church. Yeah, yeah, any church really. That is a book that you should think about uh, getting them. We might end up a little wide ranging, a bit on Geertz, but what we want to talk about, and I have uh, copies of them before me, is a Year of Grace, and there's two volumes out now. Is that correct, Bro? That is correct. Well, yeah, actually, it's a limited release that you got right there for volume two. Nice, but it'll it'll come out. Uh, in, a, in another month. Or well, that makes me feel loved release. that I got it there. Yeah. Um, you didn't even pay for them. You made money on my other books, and then you don't even pay for this. Yeah, it's I, a sweet deal. Wow. That's how we treat Missourians in the wells. Yeah. <laughs> the, I see uh, how this is. We, uh, so um, <laughs> that's what we, what we will be talking about today, and as we make our way there, um, we're going to skip the free-for-all. We haven't been doing the free-for-all in all the episodes we're going to be recording here necessarily because we want to... Um, make the best use of our guest time. These are people who are um, have a lot of people at the conference who would like to speak to them because of the work they've done. And so we're going to jump right into the main topic. But first, Mike, how about we get that disclaimer? This show doesn't speak for our churches, our church bodies, or our employers. To be honest, much of the time, it probably doesn't speak for us. We will be thinking out loud a lot. So approach what you hear with a healthy skepticism. Because, well, as a responsible resident of planet Earth, that's probably what you should generally do with almost everything. If you find yourself getting too worked up, tune out, look around, and realize you were just listening to a podcast. That's right, a podcast. So go live free, friends, and don't let us get in the way.
Alright, so that brings us to our main topic. We have Bor Erickson uh, here with us once again, and we've kind of talked a little bit about what we're going to do. Um, we're going to be talking about A Year of Grace, these two volumes that have come out, and maybe a little bit about some of the other projects uh, that Brewer is working on. You might think, oh, Brewer, you've had five, six things in the last... Y- yeah, yeah. I got you've had a lot come out. Like, why don't year. you just take a nap? Um, but uh, <laughs> but Brewer is still working, so we might talk about some of that. But just um, for some of our listeners, uh, we get a number of new listeners, um, people who maybe haven't heard every episode... Um, I'd encourage you to go back. Peter can hopefully put in the show notes. Mike will remind him. Right, Mike? Mm-hmm. Um, the episodes that Brewer has been on. Uh, but if you could maybe give us, um, you know, what you feel is a sufficient um, bit of background on Bo Geertz himself. Who was he? Um, what did he do? Why do you find him so interesting that you've been translating him? And what what draws you to keep working with him, maybe? Ah, oh, man. Um, well, he was a bishop in the uh, Church of Sweden. And he was a, uh, a conservative, Bible-believing Christian, uh, He, uh, which is unusual for the Church of Sweden. Um, <laughs> he, uh, no, I mean, it's, it's maybe more common than we often give it credit for. But, uh, you know, he was one of the, he, the last conservative bishop that they really, well, I, I shouldn't say that either. There were a couple after him. Um, but he, 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 he was just a phenomenal man and he, uh, he wrote a lot before and after he was a bishop. Um, he had a phenomenal love for the church, for the people of the church, uh, for, for laity. And he, he wanted to bring the gospel to them in any way he could. And, and he was incredibly creative and, 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 and a genius in his presentation of, of the gospel uh, in whatever form he went. Um, and so, I mean, why I work with him is primarily because I, I think he makes me a better pastor. Um, you know, he, he, uh, he helps me, uh, you know, communicate the gospel to people. Uh, when, when I'm wrestling with him, I, I, I talk about in the introduction to uh, Year of Grace, uh, uh, reading Roy, uh, Mikhail Roy, on uh, it's R E U, uh, Roy. Uh, he, um, I, I read his book Homiletics. Actually, is kind of part of working with these translations. But one of the things he brings out is that you know a pastor should really be reading. Uh, sermonic material constantly to see what how other people are doing it uh it, it to to help him also communicate the gospel and so uh yeah this is sort of me um looking at different ways i might not think of myself to to look at these issues uh, these people um uh, to be kind of in in uh, conversation with a giant of the faith uh, and uh, to to work with this, um, you know, to translate it, uh, you, you just sort of absorb uh, his his ethos. Um, although, yeah, I, I don't think I could ever be Bo Geertz, but you know, I think he, I think few of us could probably navigate all he did and write yeah, like he did. Just incredible stuff. What um, so you've you've translated a lot of Geertz, and a lot of it is sermonic or devotional. Um, a lot of it, uh, I mean, even you read Hammer of God, um, which you do not translate, but I, I know you know well. I mean, it's fiction, but it's it's devotional at the same time. It's serving a purpose. What's the arrangement of A Year of Grace? What what Where did you find it? Um, what was it originally written to do? What is your kind of audience you're hoping to reach with it? Yeah, let me, let me just explain that. These are gorgeous book covers. Yeah, I'm looking yeah. at two hardcovers, Your Grace, Bo Geertz. Volume one would be through the uh, festival half of the church year, and then volume two uh, through you know Pentecost or Trinity. I mean, these yeah, are these are green. these look Dude, these look it, good on the shelf, kind of it, thing. Is yeah. it better yeah. than, than this book? It cover? is better than Let the Bird Fly, Mike. I would, I honestly. No, it does. I admit it. Um, they both look very good. Fifteen Seventeen does a phenomenal job with the covers. 
Um, and Brenton is amazing. But uh, when I saw him, I thought, and I even heard someone next to me who was looking at Brewer's books and not mine. And I normally, if it weren't Brewer, I would have been like, you should look down here. <laughs> but I didn't want to because I knew Brewer's books are good, so I, I didn't say anything. But I actually heard him telling Steve uh, what a good job 1517 well, does with one, images. And one, cr- one criticism is on the inside back uh, dust jacket is a nice picture of Bo Garrett's, but there's not a picture of you. That well, would have been kind of ruin the cover. That would have been kind of <laughs> well. Like, that other, would have been kind of nice with your mustache right under Bo Garrett's. The other thing I noticed one. with the new one is his name is spelled wrong. Brewers is also. Just joking. I want to see if Brewer get nervous. <laughs> Did you get nervous or no? Uh, for a second there, I was like, <laughs> okay. what are you talking about, man? So you chose sermons to translate uh, one for every Sunday, I assume. And yeah, how'd well, you go about and that? Were they, was this a book he had already done that he picked the arrangement? Are you picking the arrangement? No, it was a posthumous uh, arrangement that uh, a guy um, put together in Sweden. Um, and... Uh, you know, he went into the archives in Lund uh, and just kind of grabbed sermons, uh, listened to sermons. Uh, a lot of them were were uh, taped, you know, back in the day of, uh, you know, cassette tape. Um, you know, it found some that were written, some that were, you know, maybe partially. Bo Geertz, one of the things he did, he would write a sermon. You know, so you can find uh, sermons that he wrote, uh, but in, in those situations, you're not getting the sermon as it was preached because he didn't preach from notes or he, mm-hmm. you know, he didn't read or anything. He'd Which is write. often the case with Luther too. Yeah. We have the text of Luther's sermons, but the, we don't know where he really went with stuff. Otherwise, so I mean, that, that yeah. makes the tapes amazing. Yeah. Um, the tapes of Luther, yeah. I mean, those are awesome. Yeah, no, I, I mean, I mean. <laughs> uh, but I mean, to have the to have the audio that right. you're able to have transcription of to work with is yeah. is a unique opportunity to uh, experience a preacher in a way that you wouldn't otherwise from the manuscripts he had prepared. Right. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, this uh, Ste um, or Stig. Uh, I think it was Larsonus's last name was the one who who kind of put these things together in Sweden, and it, it's kind of funny in, in, in Sundog's book and um, he, uh, it, which is the name of the book in, in Swedish, you know, the Sunday book, uh, which I, I just kind of found the title not to be too appealing, you know. I mean, um, but. Uh, so I, I, I grabbed a, a phrase that that Luther or that, that uh, Bo Geertz used at the, uh, in the in one of the Advent sermons, actually the first one, and uh, he talked about this year of grace that that we're entering <coughs> into this new year of grace, and I thought you know that that now there's a title for a book of sermons you know. And I have to say it's not only a good cover; it is a it is a good title. I like it. I mean, it's yeah. catchy. Um, so. Uh, but, uh, you know, he put them together, tried to find the best. You know, they're, they're from all over. It's kind of funny. You see, a, you see I, at least I do, because I started researching uh, the sermonic style, the homiletic style that Bo Geertz was using to, to uh, preach with. And, uh, you know, he, he adopted uh, a Hortown, or we would say Chartown, maybe it's a S-C-H-A-R-T-O. Which is a name that comes up in Hammer of God as well. Yeah, Chartau is, or Hortau is the way to say it in Swedish. He was a very prominent figure in Bo Geertz's life. And... Sort of the he was the founder of what they call in Sweden West Coast Pietism, which uh, which was at war with East Coast Pietism, if I remember. Right, right. And there was Tupac drive-by shootings. And, and, yeah, and it was Biggie Small. It got very and, brutal. Yeah, yeah, it got very brutal. <laughs> ended in big shooting in Vegas. Yeah, uh, and it always ends in Vegas. And, and, and Bo Geertz died, you know, in the uh. in the shooting. That was, that was sad. Allegedly, yeah, he allegedly. may still be alive. Yeah, he might still be alive. <laughs> <laughs> West Coast, <laughs> um, but uh, 
Yeah, we you know, but you you have to understand with with uh, you know Scandinavia, Pietism doesn't mean what it normally means in uh, what the the the, uh, the old synodical conference circles. Um, really, you know, when you look at at, at, at who Hortal was, he was influenced by the same schools uh, as is of Pietism uh, in quotation marks there as Le. Um, you know, and so on, uh, that uh, you, or Leahy, as, as people always pronounce his name, even though I, I don't think that's a very good Which is, I mean, someone who's very influential on American Lutheranism. In the, yeah, in the, the Missouri, Missouri Synod, Synod and, and yeah. also I think Wells a little bit, uh, yeah. you know, the old uh, Frankenmuth area. And of, I served of, for 10 years, just about 15 minutes from Frankenmuth. And, I mean, a man who really left a mark, yeah. Yeah. So similar circles to that. Right. Um, but uh, he developed this this uh, way of of uh, addressing people at different areas of their spiritual life, if you will. Um, you know, he kind of has this this classification of of people that he's addressing, um, and and he would say, you know, he classifies them as uh, as as uh, unbelievers, and then uh, awakened, and then. Um, believers you know like and and so the this classification is 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 you get the unbelievers so if we had to play a game in this room and we'll, we'll call it unbeliever awakened believer who would you classify as what for all three of us have to be one only one of us can be each well obviously you're the unbeliever mm-hmm. well thank you mm-hmm. wow. um I Would you say a, believer or awakened? I, I I might be awakened. I I'm relying <laughs> on the law a little too much in my life. I, uh. you know, I, I my faith is not in Christ but in the law. So Mike can be the believer. I'll be, I'll be the believer. That's fine. Yeah, um, I have high expectations for you now, Mike. <laughs> uh, yeah. Well, it, 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 so this is and actually, you know, in, in my now he would just to clarify that too, and because I joked about it, but in those categories. What what is what does awakened mean? Is it? I mean, this is a person he would consider to be saved, or I mean, is it? What does that awakened mean? You know, so so yeah, and we're talking about uh, Chartau still, not yeah, of course. But you know, in, in my research, it, it's funny. I, I stumbled in my own personal devotions on this because this lady gave me this uh, Taschen edition of of Luther's Bible. You know the original German with the Gothic script and everything, and I'm reading the introduction to the Old Testament, and Luther brings out this classification almost verbatim in the introduction to the Old Testament. In his, you know, it's just funny because you know Walther kind of has a reaction against uh, at least a certain way that this distinction could be made, and so people uh, often in the Missouri Synod are, are a little bit leery about. Uh, following uh, this distinction, because Walther wants to say, you you shouldn't be distinguishing between people who are awakened and full-blown believers. But even Walther still will have language that sounds pietistic at times. With I mean the the herits herits herit true believer, yeah, true faith. I mean, so so the way yeah. Luther does this in the introduction to the Old Testament is he talks about. Uh, Moses going up on the mountain, getting the Ten Commandments, and he comes down with the Ten Commandments, and he hears dancing and, you know, the idol worship, right? And what does he do? He gets mad, and he throws the commandments down on the ground. And it, and, and what Luther says is those people were people that the law never reached, ever. You know, it's like it, it just they were waste. They were whatever. You know, and Moses kills them all, right? And then he says the awakened are people who are, are playing a game with themselves. They, the law has reached them, and they're attempting to fulfill it themselves. And that's how he sees the awakened. So you know, we see this a lot in Christianity where, you know, Jesus becomes sort of just this uh, example of, of Christian, you know, morality and, and whatnot. Um it, and their faith isn't in Jesus Christ dying on the cross for their sins. Their faith is in their own ability to fulfill the law for themselves. And so he, this, is, this is the awakened. 
Uh, not completely different than being woke today. Yeah, not you really. Know what I mean? Yeah, in that's a different I'm context. Gonna, I'm but, gonna, I'm yeah? gonna, I hadn't thought about. I hadn't put that together. I'm you know, trying to find my righteousness in my. You know why Mike knew that? Because he's a believer. I'm a believer. I'm trying to find my righteousness and my righteous indignation against whatever cause. I'm, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm gonna. About. I'm gonna start using that. Preaching against the unbeliever, the woke, and 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 the uh, yeah, the woke. Um, no, it, it's yeah, it, it is that you know. It, and then the believer is the person who is despaired of his own ability to fulfill the law, his own ability to to live the law, uh, and and trust in, in Jesus Christ alone. Um, so this is kind of a a reverse of how people would think of pietism as we used to speak of it in the synodical conference this is not pietism in the sense of the true believer is the one who's really killing it keeping the law but the true believer in this west coast pietism is someone who's been broken by the law and is is ready for the gospel then right yeah which is pretty cool yeah 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 so um you know it's a book here has this this thing where he picks up from hortal where hortal sort of in the beginning of his sermon you know he talks about the text introduces the text it in the middle of the sermon Quartal would go to um explaining the order salutis uh you know how a person goes from unbeliever to awakened to believer uh in relationship to the text using the text to sort of map that uh order salutis out and then uh, you come into uh, the, and all of that would be like in third person, the the introduction of the text, the 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 mapping of the order, and then in in the in the third part of the sermon, he he goes to a very uh, pointed uh, second person address to people, you unbelievers, you guys who think that you you know that there is no God that you can you know, live this crass lifestyle, blah, blah, blah. Hear the text on this. You know, you are going to burn in hell for, he doesn't really ever say that so much, but, well, it comes close maybe. Um, He he does believe in hell, you know, but he starts, you know, hammering that, you know, your only option is Jesus Christ. And then he goes into, and you guys who think you're fulfilling the law, you know, you guys who have heard the law and you're trying to, you know, it, it, it gets a little softer with them, you know, because he's 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 recognizing that they're 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 being hit by the law. So he starts. There's know, something to work with there. Yeah, and and he um, he he comes at them you know a little bit, but addresses that and then brings it into you know the gospel in just very powerful ways, and then you know it starts addressing the believers and all right. You know, you guys who who believe this, you know that Jesus Christ died for your sins. You know, this is this is he he has addresses for them, like you know, just uh, ways to to rest in that, to confirm that that faith. You know, and the thing is, is people get all upset about this order salutis thing, um, which is sort of the order of grace or okay, the order of salvation. You know, like, you know, this is how salvation works out in a person's life. And you put this order on it. And um, for Bo Geertz, he, he says in, in, in a couple letters to, I think, Rosendahl, um, you know, the importance here isn't the order. You know, it's not like you, you have to go this, this, and this, you, 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 that you have to go through these stages, it's just that people are in these different stages at different times. Um, some people are, some people aren't. What's important isn't the order. What's important is the grace, you know, because you end up where, where, and this is Walter's. Re- that is just phenomenal, by the way. I mean, that's really good stuff. Yeah. Uh, what, what you find, you know, Walter reacting to here. Uh, when when he's saying you know you shouldn't make this distinction between the awakened and and, and the believer or the converted, um, you know, and you find this in Huartawan circles still today, I'm told, where people don't ever get to a point where they think, 
yeah, I'm a believer. You know, they're they're constantly trying to, you know, fulfill the law. It, it, and they think that you become a believer by actually um, fulfilling the law at some point. And, and that's, that's not where Bo Geertz goes with this. Um, although some people try to put that interpretation on. He, he's saying, no, but grace needs to, you know, grace is what converts. And people get stuck in these different ruts. And, you know, so I mean, we know it as pastors, right? I mean, we've seen it. We, 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 uh, we're, we're talking to people and we, we see their burdens. And, and then, you know, we, we have that, that confirmation kid that hasn't been to church in, you know, 15 years after we confirmed him and, and, uh, or her. And, uh, you know, they, they tend to be, you know, sort of this unbeliever, but they show up on Christmas or whatever. I, I suppose that's the, uh, that's the rub, right? You know, why is an unbeliever in church? Why are we even bothering preaching to the unbeliever? Uh, you know, I, I tend to assume that people that are are there in my congregation um, are actually believers, because why else would they be there on Sunday morning? Mm-hmm. Um, but you do have this, uh, you, you do have unbelievers showing up for whatever reasons. You know, sure. their, their wife drives them out of bed. It's Mother's uh, Day. It's Mother's Day. Uh, it's Christmas. Uh, it's Easter. Um, whatever it might be, you know, people get uh, pulled to church, sometimes against their will. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and uh, you know, it, and it might just be a birthday or something. Um, so you never know when, when these, you know, unbelievers are going to be mixed in the congregation. And it's not like a pastor has any, uh, you know, actual... Uh, way of looking into a person's soul and knowing, uh, you know, there, there, there are a lot of people who put on a, a good show, sure. I suppose, uh, who, you know, later we find out, wait, you don't believe any of this? You know, you're in a conversation with them and, and uh, you're like, but why are you doing this then? Uh, and, and so, you know, th- this idea that you shouldn't have a, an address to an unbeliever uh, in your sermon, well, you know, unless you're doing some sort of tent revival or something like that. Uh, no, I mean, you can't you can't take for granted that everybody in your pews is a believer. And everybody well, is an old man, too. Well, right, and I think right. even you can't, and this is something I always find interesting about sermons at pastor's conferences, um, where the law sometimes becomes generic to the point of like, we're all not as faithful in the ministry as we should be. We've all got angry at a member one time or another. You can't even assume in a pastor's conference um, that everyone, I don't mean that they're a believer in the sense of uh, that they have faith in Christ, but you don't know where people are at on that spectrum. And any of us who have served in the parish know um, there's probably a lot more of a spectrum at that time than not. I mean, we've probably, not Mike because he's a true believer, but um, there's times you show up and you probably would lump yourself um, in the awakened category or even the unbelieving and, and you need to be treated as such, and that lends itself to a much more robust sermon if you realize even a set, in a setting like that you're preaching to people, as Mike said, just with the old man, um, this seems like a very helpful thing to keep in mind. Yeah, uh, the, uh, you know, and, and, and so it's funny, you know, to get back to, you know, so you see Bo Geertz's sermons um, from different stages in his life. Uh, you know, all of them, you know, some of them have to do with his, his first parish, uh, which he said was actually his happiest time. It was a small parish, uh, Torpa, and uh, he, he, he was happiest there. And, and I saw, you know, it, I don't know. I mean, I, I went to my first call and I, I absolutely loved it. I love where I'm at now, too. Um, but sometimes I think, you know, there is something to this. You know, the, the people who first bring you into the ministry and you learn from them, um, you, you have a special attachment to them sometimes. I think that will always be the case for me personally as well. And um, I won't speak for Mike, but I've heard you talk about Woodlake enough. that I Yeah. Um, it's the same way that you have an attachment to your seminary professors and brothers at seminary. Yeah, yeah. That was an education for you as much as it was ministry. Right. And... Uh, you know, so, um, you, you know, but it was a really small parish and he was, he was kind of 
learning this this Hortown. And, and the thing that, you know, I find about the early sermons is sometimes, you know, how, how klutzy the, the, the transition is in this third, you know, where, where he's, he's trying to address these different people. You know, it's very upfront. It's very, you know, just sort of like, yeah, and you awakened people, um, you know, <laughs> and you, you unbeliever, uh, you believers. Um, <laughs> you know, it, it's just, and, it, you know, it, it's, it's very formulaic. In, in his early sermons. And then you get to the older sermons and you're like, Hey, where is this section? You know, I don't, I don't see that anymore. And, and you know, so what, what becomes fun then is to go back through and read the sermon and see, because he's still addressing these different people yeah. and it becomes a much more organic, uh, address. And, and I mean, isn't that true of all of us? If you think of when we, I mean, if we gather together our sermons from our first few years out, um, and your training was obviously a little different than Mike and ours, but I'm guessing it was more similar than it was different. I mean, th- I was telling someone the other day, we were talking about, uh, it was a Missouri Senate pastor, and we were talking about, you know, hanging out. And, Man, you've got to get better friends. Well, I was just, I was, <laughs> I, was trying to, I was trying to encourage, like, you know, reach out to the Wells guys in your area, like, just because yeah, two true the, I mean, the Wells Pastor in my area. I mean, well, we, <laughs> you guys are friends. Yeah, so yeah, yeah. Jeff Enderly. I mean, yeah. I mean, come on, man, you can't. But end of the day, yeah. <laughs> but I mean, end of the day, we are um, whether or not we're in a Frisell Church Fellowship. Um, at the end of the day, if you want to have a beer or a coffee with someone who is probably more similar than anyone else outside your denomination to you in the world. Um, doctrinally and also is experiencing going through more similar experiences than almost anybody else in the world that's just common there so I'm going to gamble that our experiences were similar but if I were to look back to my earlier sermons too and maybe you just broke the mold when you came out but that was a dynamic yeah but that the formulas are still there I mean Mike I mean we learned the theme in parts and here's the melody and then you're going to go to this and I look back and I go I was just cramming stuff into there and then you're out a while and you realize you started talking to your people. And and you were still kind of doing some of the same things, but there's it lost its intentionality. Yeah. Um, and I think that's with a lot of what you've done with Geertz, part of what's so fun with Geertz, and even with the ordination sermons, it loses like the, I'm trying to do this thing and I'm going to fit this text into it. And he's actually just imbibed what a good sermon is to the point that he's... He doesn't have to think through those steps. If I right. mean, is that fair Exa- to say? Yeah, yeah exactly. Um, you know, it, it, and he just he he's rather than having this sort of klutzy. All right, now I'm at the third part of the sermon where I'm going to address these people in a second person way. Uh, he's he's addressing them where they show up in the text when they show up in the text. Um, which is a phenomenal way to preach. Yeah, I don't know that I've I've managed to do it ever, but it's a really good way to preach. You know, and, and I find myself, you know, since I've translated these sermons, starting to incorporate these ideas into my preparation. Where, you know, I, I sit down and I, I ask myself, okay, what is this text saying to an unbeliever? Uh, exactly. You know, how can I bring that out? All right. What about these uh, people who are maybe the a woke. little bit the woke? Yeah. Um, what about these quinoa salad eaters? Um, because that's what a woke person is, right? They, they eat quinoa salad. Um, I don't even know what that is, but I'll agree with you. Okay. Quinoa? Quinoa. Yeah, quinoa. Is that a Swedish thing? or are you? No, no, that's a woke thing. What is quinoa? Do you know what quinoa is, Mike? Be honest. Uh, no, I've heard it, but I've never. Like, it's like, what is it, seaweed it, or it's, something? It's, it's, like, it, it's like a non-grain grain. Really? Um, yeah, some South South American sort of. I felt like, virtuous because I tried the Impossible Burger at Burger King, but you're telling me there's imitation grain now? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Wheat without the wheat, gluten free, huh? Um, Carb free, grain. Yeah. Well, I'm distracting us, but I'll let you keep. So when you're addressing the quinoa salad eaters, is this yeah. a New Mexico thing, or this is a? No, this is nationwide, man. This is like a, it's a, it's a cult. Huh? Um, quinoa eaters. All right. Um, well, I'll let you keep going. I was, I'm going to Google this later. Oh, <laughs> uh, I'm joking about the cult part. Well, maybe I don't know. Um, <laughs> I'll I'll let them figure that out with their. We editing. were just talking human trafficking in the previous episode, so it was getting pretty dark. So, 
maybe there is a cult, and if there is, uh, you should get out of it, and I know people who can help you. Yeah. Come come, come see me. I'll, I'll break you of your quinoa habit. Um, <laughs> kale. Quinoa and kale. Um, <laughs> come on, people. There's good food out there. Uh, you should eat it. Um, <laughs> the... Uh, you know the the woke he 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 just I I sit down and I go okay what is this saying to these people, um, what what is this saying to uh, you know and, and okay I'm a believer but where 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 is this hitting me in the heart, uh, you know um, where where you know where where am I where am I being pricked by the law here and where am I uh, you know, finding comfort in the gospel here and, and, and just starting to, to work those themes in, uh, and maybe not in order at all. You know, sometimes you, you, you find something that's addressing, uh, believers first, sometimes, you know, the unbeliever last, you know, um, and, uh, where, you know, Quartel really had, you know, most of his sermons, it's just complete. They always followed the same structural outline and, you know, evidently he was a very dynamic preacher. Um, you know, and, and, and doing the the research on these sermons as I'm translating them, I, I read some of. You could find Quartao's uh, sermons too uh, online and whatnot. You could just you know Google him uh, in English. Are you talking? Yeah, yeah, they got okay. English translations. Because um, then I might Google him, but if it was Swedish, that wouldn't do me much good. Yeah. Uh, but, uh, you know, it's, it's funny. He just, one of the things about both of them, people say they did not preach from their notes. They, they might've written a sermon, but they never, you know, they, they preach, you know, without notes in front of people. Uh, Roy in his homiletics goes off on reading sermons, uh, which I found like rather, you know, interesting. He, you know, he's. Because, you know, I kind of, when I was growing up in the Missouri Synod, uh, you know, and I started to become a pastor, you know, I, I was always told, you know, you, you need to read your sermons. Um, and, uh, you know, otherwise, you know, the fact that you can drink, you know, three pitchers of beer on a Friday night and have a theological discussion and neither one of uh, you or your friend are, are you know, spreading heresy in, in your... Uh... Well, to be fair, Brewer, every time I've drank beer with you, I have secretly had a, an outline of my conversation on my phone, which is why I pretend I'm, like, checking Facebook or something. Yeah, yeah. Mike, what do you think about reading sermons? Read. <laughs> um, <laughs> you know, it, it's... Uh, no, you know, you... you, you and, and yet you can't stand up on Sunday morning and... and and address your congregation without thinking that you're going to stumble into heresy. You're not going to say something just right. Uh, you know, maybe you don't need to say it just right. Uh, maybe that's that's what adds to you know. Maybe that's how you 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 get your people in. Um, but yeah, Roy goes off on it, and it was it was sort of a mind opening thing to me um, that you know, uh, reading sermons might not be the best way of doing things. Uh, and, and we've got an episode now because uh, Mike and I have this talk. And I will say, Mike is one of my top five preachers. Five. And I'm probably in your top 150. Hmm. But I'm definitely a, uh, I have like some things scribbled down quickly on a piece of paper. And Mike is, uh well, you don't read it. To be fair, no. you don't read your sermon. But I should memorize. To, I should memorize but, better. But yes. take the manuscript to it. No, I, I don't think you necessarily should. No, um, I don't. I, you see, that's the thing. This this idea that you're going to memorize a sermon, and you, you know, you, you may as well be a robot. But what I'm getting at is, is where I think the issue comes in is there is definitely a reading of a sermon that's a reading of a sermon, and then there's a pastor who's crafted a well worded manuscript and studied it and has it there but is not preaching that and I think that's when Mike preaches I never have the impression well he's not looking at me when I preach Mike probably has the impression of he should have thought about this beforehand <laughs> but I think I think what exactly. I think what comes out of it that what is helpful as you're noting with this is whether you're coming with a manuscript and you're going to be looking down or whether you're you're not um, 
you have very carefully considered your hearer yeah and you are addressing them and i think right. that's the big point that will exactly did i bridge that well Mike, no, very that well very well yeah um but yeah this uh you know neither one of them did that so you kind of wonder how how it came out in actual you know in the place the one thing that i you know the, the one thing that i found you know kind of funny was um somewhere in there the uh Hortel is like i'm not interested in whitewashing tombs so i'm not going to he the, Neither Bo Geertz or Hortau uh, ever really start addressing external sins uh, very hard. Because you can, you know, you can stop drinking and not be a Christian. You can stop uh, smoking and, and still not be a stop Christian. Stop yelling at your spouse. You yeah. Can, yeah, you can stop beating your wife and you should. Well, you should wait. never be beating your wife. Yeah, I but wish you, are, you, you would stop. stop. Yeah. I mean. All right, we'll um, agree on that. Yeah, and uh, you know the uh, you you can do these things and not be a Christian, uh, you know. And so, but if you give the if you give people the impression that um, you, you'll this be a is, Christian when you stop that, yeah, yeah, then then you you failed. So you know, both of them have this 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 real concentration on uh, sins that are more ingrained in the soul you know envy and, and jealousy and and hate for your brother uh anger and rage and stuff like this that that um you know if a christian is honest with himself he hasn't gotten rid of you know right. he may have stopped beating his wife but he still resents her i may not or, um, <laughs> i may not get angry at my brother and say raka you fool but i may still harbor anger in my heart yeah i've just become more superficial right i, I hide my sins better which is what you mean by whitewashing right which yeah. is what yeah. you know deutschlander always say reform a sinner and you have a reformed sinner right you're not getting rid of the of the problem with the book um so we have the book is a collection of sunday sermons yeah yeah i i will say what i think it's value for pastors and but then i i would like you to speak more to the audience more broadly who who this could be a valuable read for. Um, I agree with you wholeheartedly, um, and you were quoting another person, but that pastors should be reading sermons. It just it helps in, improve your own sermons. Some pastors, I think, get this, this nervousness of like, well, if I'm reading another sermon, I might steal someone ideas, someone's ideas. Well, don't plagiarize someone without asking them. I don't think you should do that. But if those ideas... Our biblical ideas, they were given by the Spirit, and I hope no one ever speaks them just once. <clears throat> um, they're gifts to God's people. Uh, but I also think these could be read devotionally by pastors as well. Mm -hmm. But beyond that, so we've got a book. I'm guessing you didn't just write this for pastors or translate it. Um, what is the value of this book for a broader audience too? So, so what's funny books, is, is, is the books in Sweden were kind of written for – because in Sweden – they don't have this sort of, uh, you, you know, the church is, is, is uh, off on this, so I should stop going altogether. In Sweden, the, the confessionals uh, like to go to church on Sunday in, in, in a state church uh, and receive communion because you can, you know, it doesn't matter even if it's, if it's the devil himself who's giving you communion. Um, it's communion. It's it's the body and blood of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of sins, and so they go. They'll go to the general assembly, but uh, you might realize that that the sermons lack uh, any real edification to them. And so the idea behind these these books in Swedish was that you would read this sermon and go to church <laughs> and receive the body and blood of Jesus Christ. Or, you know, maybe you would go to church and, and receive the body and blood of Christ, and, and then you would go home and you would read this sermon and, and receive the, the edification of the spoken which, word. Which I have heard that happening in America still today, where somebody is, there's just not really a good church around. Yeah. Well, was I'm still it, a part it, of this was denomination. It Brad, was it Brad, who I think I have heard, 
once joked with someone that when they were abroad, I think they were in England, and uh, maybe it's Adam Francisco who has said this, and Rod said, well, go to the Anglican Church because they have the liturgy, but then have a Walkman, cassettes then still, um, with a good Lutheran sermon on it and listen to that during the homily. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Hey, I, I don't, you know, that would be quite rude, but you, you get the idea of it. Yeah, yeah, and that was sort of what this was for. Um, but, you know, to have perhaps a special devotion with your, your family uh, at the Sunday dinner. Um, I don't, people do that, I think, still. Some people, uh, the, it was on what, what uh, that Tom Selleck show with, uh, <laughs> you know, with the cops in New York. What was that called again? Blue Bloods? Yeah, Blue Bloods, yeah. yeah. I bet Mike does that because he's a believer. Yeah, Mike does that. Yeah, yeah. Uh, us unbelievers, you know, we don't do the Sunday afternoon roast or you know, yeah, yeah don't really care to have family over um, gathered <laughs> around a table and and so on. Um, but no, I mean, those are good practices, really. You know, to for a family to have this time where, you know, you're sitting down to a table and you're you're eating and you're you're, and you know, and maybe you would have a special devotion there and and read a sermon while you're waiting for your food to get really cold um <laughs> the uh or or afterwards you know before everybody goes to bed or whatever uh you know to have a special yeah. you know devotion you know or just read it just because you want to read it and and understand how you're going to um perhaps be able to to um help friends out of their situations of unbelief or, you know, you find them uh, being woke and they're eating quinoa and you want to, you want to uh, relieve them of that. At least like Um, the perfect segue (laughs) food for that. If you're trying to get the woke to believe it would probably be the impossible Whopper. And then you work your way to the real Whopper. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Um, I will say. I just mean, so these books, I'm just flipping through them. Five to six to maybe That's seven pages. <clears throat> these this is not sitting for a half an hour. Right. No, these are yep. these are very devotionally short, easily kind of digestible, yeah. and I I think a mark of a good preacher in that they're um they still hit the mark after all these years. Yeah, uh, you know, yeah, Lutherans don't need to preach for forty five minutes or an hour to to get the gospel across. Like, you know, Baptists do that and they never get to the gospel. We just anyway. had two Baptists on the last episode. So be careful for. <laughs> Very good gospel. Yeah, but they did it short. They didn't take forty-five yeah. minutes. Right, right. If you if you take forty-five minutes, <laughs> something's you, a mess. Yeah, there's a, you know, get to the point already, man. Yeah. yeah. Well, I appreciate it, Brewer, and I know we um we have breakout sessions coming up, and I I'd like to to make it to a Dan Van Voorhees uh, session. Um, and I know you're just a popular guy. I gotta say, at these conferences, Brewer. You're working the rooms. I see you. You're in conversations. People are laughing. You're shaking hands. You're slapping backs. Um, so I know you You probably have plenty more of that that you can do. Um, but I always get a kick out of it. I think, you know, I wish I could work a room. Two people that can work a room that are out here right now. Tom Park yeah, and uh, Roar. And so um, it, uh, I, I, I love it. It's a beautiful thing. Um, and I'll let you get back to it. But I appreciate you coming on. I I really hope people will go back and listen to the other Bo Geertz episodes because Brewer is always a wonderful guest. And what he is doing with Geertz is a real service to the church, bringing that out. These are digestible sermons that they have not aged out, and I think that's an amazing thing. Um, it's a year of uh, grace, volume one and volume two, uh, through 1517 Publishing. Go to the 1517 website. You can find it or get it on Amazon. Uh Brewer clearly never made money off doing books with me. Um, I have several cars that, uh, <laughs> uh, and uh, a, a small college fund for each of my children. But, uh, <clears throat> but help Brewer enjoy life a little. Um, but mostly, if if you if you're a preacher, you're looking for resources. Look at it. If you're a lay person, you're looking for devotional stuff. It's just phenomenal what Brewer's done, and uh, translating is a difficult thing. To put something in a way that you feel like you're hearing the voice of the person being translated, especially a preacher. It's even more difficult with a preacher. Um, I'm someone who has published translations before, who has worked on it. Mm -hmm. I can say I have 
um, never been able to do it like Brewer has done it. Um, I've done a, uh, a very, uh, censoring myself, poor um, <laughs> version of it. And uh, they're they're very worthwhile. Um, as far as Brewer's other books, I really, then fell the Lord's fire. If you know a pastor or someone trained to be a pastor, that is a book for them. Um, these would be books for them as they, you, you learn good preaching not only by hearing it, um, but by reading it, by studying what they've done, um, by preaching things that can, that, don't age out, um, yeah. and uh, and so I encourage you to do it. Broer, we forgot to remind you you've been on a bunch of times, but there's something the guy says at the end. So I'm gonna I'm gonna line it up for you, and if you don't remember, Mike's gonna say it. Is that fair, Mike? Even though he attacked you about the red sermons thing, you're okay with that? <laughs> okay, I'm just joking. <laughs> all right. So uh, end of the day, uh, 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 although we don't get let the bird fly from Bo Geertz, um one of the things I love about Geert's sermons and something I think you've brought out with the whole West Coast pietism really being about um, being killed by the law and ready for the gospel, which is a theological use of the law. Right. Um, at the end of the day, when people are ready for the gospel, which is what Geert's is waiting, waiting to pounce on them with a gift, what's yeah. the only thing we can do, bro? They let the bird fly. Uh, every evening when the sun goes down, Get up my party and I begin to cry I don't care what the people are thinking I'm not drunk, I'm just a drink I set them up, another round I set them up, another round I set them up, another round One more round won't get me down